Well, hey, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and good Saturday to you. This is every Saturday we come to you live at this time, having conversations about really a broad array of topics. And and I like to keep it interesting, and, and maybe sometimes I use this as an opportunity to learn on my own journey. And not maybe I do do that, and I, I hope you find that helpful uh, as well. Uh, so Ancestral Life comes at you each and every Saturday at this time. But let me remind you, if maybe you're driving down the road saying, oh, I'd like to listen to the show more frequently, or maybe you're in your garage with your radio playing, um, you can actually subscribe to the podcast. Go to edstetzerlive.com. You can, I, I'm surprised at just how many people now, when I see them, say, oh, listen to Ed Stetzer Live. And, but I listen on Wednesdays, you know, whatever else it may be. That's the amazing thing about podcasts. Listen when you want. Or also, too, you can listen to the episodes you want. And my guess is this would be one of the episodes you'd want to listen to. As a matter of fact, let me encourage you that if you are have questions about parenting, Christian parenting, uh, which as a Christian parent, I do. So there you go. Um, so you might want to text a friend and say, hey, we're going to have a good conversation today here on Moody Radio, our partners and affiliates from coast to coast, and of course here at the Internet Link as well. So my guest today is David Setrin. Now I happen to know David. Uh, we, we live in the same town, and he is literally in my studio, in my basement at my house, even as we speak. So he lives right around the corner, uh, close to here. And he's a professor at Wheaton College, a wonderful friend. We, we literally have kids who are friends in middle school and just one, his just went off to Wheaton College. Mine went off to Biola University. My oldest one went to Wheaton, uh, middle one to Cal Baptist. And now, um, the youngest went off to Biola. Now I say all that to say that this day, like an hour from now, I send my last child out of the house, off to college, and I am, we are, Don and I are officially empty nesters. Now, uh, for the children, we are looking very sad about this reality. However, there may be a certain level of excitement about being empty nesters in us as well. But that being said, um, I just want to say up front, I know very little about parenting other than hold on, trust Jesus, and do your best. The great thing is, David Cetron, well, let me tell you about him. He's the Price LeVar Chair of Christian Formation and Ministry at Wheaton College. Uh, he teaches in the Christian Formation and Ministry Department. I happen to be the dean of that department. Uh, his areas of research interests include college student development and formation, the history of Christian education, philosophy of Christian education, and the history of Christian parenting. Now, that kind of fascinating, the history of Christian parenting. And that's what we're going to talk about today. He's written several books, including his newest, Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And as always, we're going to take your calls, 877-548-3675, if you want to get in the queue. Maybe you got questions about historical Christian parenting, or maybe you got questions about Christian parenting today. Again, 877-548-3675. David, I look back historically and I think it would have been so much easier a hundred years ago that we had our kids working the wood shop with us. We we're making we we're making chairs like the Amish make today, and then going into the town square and and making it simple. And 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 it's kind of complex today. So why write a book that looks back historically for truths we can find today? Well, thanks, Ed. Yeah, it's so it's. Great to be here with you, and I in the basement. In the basement, <laughs> I know, and I actually also just about a week ago became an empty nester. Yeah. So, in in some ways, uh, as others have told me, I, I wrote the book too late uh, to help myself. Sure, it's true <laughs> in certain ways, but uh, at the same time, I think um, obviously just realizing 
how important Christian parenting is. Uh, We know that biblically, um, you know, just from places like Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78 that that just talk to us about uh, the importance of teaching the commands of God to our children, doing that at, at all times and in all ways, and how important that is for generational continuity, right? For, for the faith lasting through the generations. Um, and actually research tells us the same thing, uh, that, you know, for, for faith development, uh, in, in children, there's lots of things that contribute to that, obviously, right? Schools and uh, clubs that people are part of and uh, churches, Sunday schools, things like that. But all the research is, is sort of universal in saying that that parents are are the most important um, in that way, and so so very you know interested in it. Obviously interested in it just as a parent, and you know thinking about this in my own life and, and with our own kids. But then realizing that um, yeah, not many people have looked to the past um, as as one of the you know kind of sources of help and wisdom. That we might glean, uh, you know. I think we we take a lot of things for granted. Um, the way we do our parenting, we don't realize how much we're part of a longer legacy. I guess in that way too. And yeah, and there are certain things that we can obviously learn from those who've gone before us. Uh, you know, and and parenting has has always been hard. Uh, yeah. That's the one thing uh, you know that I caught on pretty quickly. Even looking at early American parents is just realizing how, uh, yeah, they were still having trouble with, with their teenagers and with it, with other ones that were, you know, struggling with. And so, yeah, just to get a sense of, well, what were the things that, you know, animated their own kind of parenting and what kind of questions were they asking and, and, and what we can learn from that. Yeah. It's interesting. I think people like me sometimes do look back into this, well, it must've been easier then as well. I also, if you listen to the musical Hamilton, uh, which I'm probably, mm-hmm. I don't want to like violate copyright laws by singing, but at one point, Aaron Burr says, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher, but there are things that the homilies and hymns won't teach you. Well, his grandfather was Jonathan Edwards. And right. so, um, you know, we, we see, and Aaron Burr wasn't exactly a bastion of character and, and more. So, um, so when we look back to parenting, and we looked historically, as you looked historically, again, we're talking about David's new book that deals, it's called Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. Uh, give us some, like, what kind of, how long history, it's American history, what are some of the eras you looked at? Give us some broad overview of the of the study project. Yeah, so in this book in particular, I'm looking at... Um, two kind of primary time periods. So looking more at uh, the colonial era, um, early 1600s to the you know mid to late 1700s as one particular time period. And then looking a little bit more at uh, what I call the kind of Victorian era parenting. Uh, so 1830s to the 1880s um, as well, kind of comparing and contrasting those two time periods because there was a pretty significant shift uh, that took place um, from one period to the other. But then actually in the book also um, spending a good deal of time at the end looking at the at the legacy of those two time periods for parenting that took place after that, both in the 20th century and then, you know, into contemporary times as well and, and what we can kind of learn because a lot of the the themes, um, a lot of the big issues and big ideas were present in those two time periods. And, and we kind of live with the legacy of those things uh, even now. 
Yeah. So in, you kind of walk through history, you know, uh, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. Um, and, you know, how do we start, right? Our children, I mean, they are, they're theol- we're much more theological centuries ago. Um, are children in need, are they basically good? And they just need to be sort of nudged in a good direction. Do people see it that way? Uh, are they in need of moral direction? How did people? Because I mean, it seems to you know, if you look at the in the uh, last few decades, um, Doctor Spock's baby and childcare book was such a substantive impact on so much of our conversations. Permissive parenting, just nudge them along. Reason with your your two year old which is always a fast. I remember reasoning with a two-year-old. I don't know how well that went. Where in the past, it seems they had a different view of childhood and children. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of the, the really interesting pieces of what I found, um, just because, you know, it's, it's very clear, you know, 17th, 18th centuries, um, you know, certainly the primary view, what was one of of child sinfulness, of original sin, of the importance of the fact that, you know, the child's soul was dead in sin and, and in trespass, right? And and needed this regenerating work of the Holy Spirit uh, to bring that soul to life. And so, so, so much of the parent's job, I said, you know, my first chapter is the parent as evangelist, because the, the, the parent was, was really meant to be a a soul winner, you know, for their children, um, because they, they saw their children very much in that, that the child's biggest problem was inside, was internal, right. uh, was sin, was the, the need of a new heart. Um, and one of the things that, that happens, you know, progressively, obviously, and in, in, in stages, but starting in the very late 18th century through the 19th century, you get these very different views start to emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that earlier view still stayed around there. There's still, you know, quite a few people still teaching that and preaching that, but you also get two other kind of, you know, vantage points that start to emerge. One is kind of child as blank slate, you know, mm-hmm. sort of child as a neutral I called it sort of a tabula rasa. Right, kind sure. of a, um, Clear the table. Right. Exactly. So that really everything um, is determined by the environment. Everything is about, you know, the, cultural forces on the child, the impressions that are being made on, you know, the, the, the soft wax of the child's heart and shaping it in certain directions. And so, so it becomes much less, I guess, about just this kind of, you know, needed conversion and much more about, um, you know, what are the influences shaping the child in one direction or another. And, and then even a, a third view, which was the more romantic, I guess, view, uh, which was the, the child as this angelic cherub, um, you know, who is um, kind of innocent, as it were, and actually even a, a model and an example for older sure. people of what what is good and right. And, you know, that older people should try to try to be more like, you know, what more children childlike. are kind of in that sense. And, and in that sense, it's there can be a little more of this kind of idea of, well, let's just get out of the way and let that unfold, you know, within the child's life and try not to, uh, not to corrupt the innocence in that way. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so, so you look at these sort of approaches to parenting throughout the book and, and I'd also like to see some of the wisdom, what that might look like um, today for us to think about that. And I, what's funny is, is, I could see some of each of my three daughters that maybe maybe one was more of a blank slate and maybe one was more of a starting differently. You know, just it's just interesting. So we're going to take uh, your calls as well. 
We'll invite you to give us a call at 877-548-3675. We're talking about parenting, taking your questions or your comments, 877-548-3675. As believers in Jesus, we know our citizenship on earth is actually temporary, but the days can be challenging navigating a world in cultural decline. A.W. Tozer brings help and encouragement in his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. He tackles the how-to of confronting and battling worldliness while we live in anticipation of heaven. Be better equipped to take on each day. Read Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Your copy is at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back. Welcome to Ed Setzer Live. We're continuing our conversation uh, with David Setrin. Uh, David's the Price Labar Chair of Christian Formation and Ministry at Wheaton College. And uh, we have the privilege of, I have the privilege of serving with him. We serve together there. And we're talking about his new book, Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. And so, David, let's, let's go to some history, right? So this is, uh, let's go back to the Puritans. And um, the Puritans, how they dealt with the problem of false security, um, you know, how, how do they think intentionally about faith and children inheriting the faith and more? So let's let's step back there. Let me remind you that we're going to be taking your calls at 877-548-3675. Um, and again, we're going to take calls about parenting in general. And but also if you got questions or comments about parenting throughout history, American history, 877 877- Five four eight three six seven five. So, talk to us a little bit about the Puritans, inherited faith, and more. Yeah, well, I, you know, the the Puritans again. I, you know, I had mentioned just this concern for the new heart and and the need for uh, the spirit uh, to regenerate their their children's hearts. And one of the things they were very worried about was was a kind of false security um, that both children and parents might fall into, and. You know, looked a few different ways. I guess one was, you know, they were worried that, you know, parents might think that morality was good enough. In other words, uh, that, you know, behavioral conformity and following the rules, you know, was good enough. So it's substituting morality for true redemption, for true salvation, in a sense. And, And so they, it wasn't good enough, you know, for their children to obey I think they realize too that some children are just more obedient than others and, you know, have an easier time following rules than others. Um, but they wanted to make sure that those children were actually saved, um, that they were actually, um, you know, redeemed by Christ. And so, so that, that was a concern. I mean, they were concerned as well. Um, yeah, that parents and children might say, well, you know, we can wait till the child's a little older, you know, and, and just kind of deal with things when they get, when they get older. And so they, they spent a lot of time arguing, you know, that, well, first of all, life is very uncertain, which certainly back then it, it was even more so. Um, you know, they argued that uh, in, in many ways, the habits that start getting developed early in life um, are important and they get harder and harder to change and to and to break as, as children get older. And so, you know, don't let things get hardened. I think Cotton Mather talked about it as a, a wall of habits, you know, that starts to get built up. Uh, that's 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 hard to uh, to tear down, and so they saw the importance of that early, you know, um, starting early and and making sure that they were also giving the Lord, you know, the best years of your life sure. and and things like that. Um, yeah, and then I guess I would say finally they they did worry about just this belief that well, children will just 
inherit the faith. You know, they'll just uh, become Christians because their parents are Christians. And so, again, they also spend a lot of time just warning parents, saying basically, you know, look, look at the Bible. You know, there are plenty of uh, godly parents, right, who had ungodly children and and just, you know, recognize that this is not a given. This is not something that's going to happen automatically. Um, You know, this is something that, you know, they said, obviously, Christian parents are much more likely to have, uh, you know, godly children, but still be vigilant, you know, be aware, be be very uh, careful about these things. And so, uh, so for them, yeah, there was always that urgency, I guess, right, right to right. Uh, to care for the children from the very earliest ages. And, and parents seem to be much more engaged and involved in shaping their children. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but now with with schools, you know, um, you know, you just kind of ship them off and say, you know, and schools help us to grow our children. Uh, and then, but historically, we look back and I mean, and maybe it's a stereotype. You tell me. Parents having devotions with their children, teaching them to read and understand the Bible. That seems like a thing that people were doing historically much more than we're doing today. Is that a true fact? Yeah, cert- I mean, certainly my historical, you know, uh, kind of re- retelling points to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, obviously, there's, there are always people who aren't um, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and that's why the the. the the pastors who are preaching these sermons and writing them are are so hard on them. But in, in a sense, um, they two of my chapters in the book are, are parents as as priests and as prophets right. and as kings, which which I could mention too. But but priests in the sense that yeah, family devotions were a twice a day uh, morning and evening mm. practice that was like the expected expected way to do things in which they would read a portion of scripture and they would just read through it. You know, they called it in course, you know, kind of over time through, through the whole text. Uh, they would, uh, sing. Um, in fact, uh, you know, earlier stages would sing, you know, Psalms and, and then hymns, um, especially Isaac Watts hymns as as they came along and homes were actually the first place in which, in which hymns really caught on even before churches at that point. So they would sing together and then, um, and then spend time in prayer. And and that was kind of the, you know, kind of like brushing your teeth. It was just every day, morning, you know, right. morning and night. Uh, this is, this is kind of what, what we do. And so, and, and really emphasized, um, you know, parental prayer for children as well. Um, you know, the importance of, you know, Cotton Mather used to call it regular prayers for children, which were praying for all of your children each day and then taking one of them specifically and spending a little more time, you mm-hmm. know, on, on that child. Um, he actually recommended and, and several seem to have done this where they would actually pray with the child for the child mm-hmm. um, so that the child would see the parent's heart for that child. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously that kind of importance and vigilance mm-hmm. and then. I think the teaching part of things was one of the things that interested me too, like how educational mm-hmm. uh, the home was, um, which was through scripture, but also through the catechism. Um, and they would use these catechisms, questions and answers about the doctrines of the faith that they would teach these things. And, and obviously, you know, they didn't have schools in the same way we do now. Um, Sunday schools, you know, didn't exist yet. And so, you know, there, there's a, a necessity for that. Um, and yet I think there's something important there, you know, that, that, that perhaps we've lost is seeing the household as a kind of educational institution yeah, sure. as well. 
Um, yeah, some of the more recent research will show that most Christian parents don't see the home that way. Um, yeah, they would, if not, the school's teaching them, you know, math and writing and, and maybe a whole lot of other things. Yeah. Uh, and then the um, when you look to the other side of it, the church, they've kind of outsourced the responsibility to the church. Now, this is, you know, people do debate this. You could actually Google, are, are youth groups bad, things of that sort. Uh, but there is a sense that we have outsourced education to the schools, uh, mostly public schools, just statistically, and then outsource maybe religious training to the church. And this would not be the case if we look historically, correct? Yeah, that's right. And and I think, you know, in some ways, um, you know, some of the importance of that for them, they, they called it making orthodoxy second nature. I mean, it was one of these things where it was almost like teaching grammar or teaching yeah. multiplication tables or yeah. things like that, you know, the language of the faith you know, was very important to them. And, and I think, so people like now, even who are writing Christian Smith and others about contemporary Christian parenting, they, they, they show that, you know, a lot of this is not happening. The parents don't see this as important. You know, it, it's important to, to be a model. It's important to kind of socialize children to the faith, but, but the actual teaching is not so important. And, and he comes back and he says, well, Actually, um, you know, this becomes very important because can you really combat some of the lies of the culture, for example, mm -hmm. with a, a one hour a week Sunday school class, you know, um, right. as opposed to this this kind of everyday uh, kind of nurture in the faith in that way. And one of the things he found is that, you know, children growing up even in Christian homes and Christian circles are very inarticulate, you know, about their faith. You talk about uh, Christian Smith here. Yes, right, currently. Right, right. Christian now. Smith, a scholar, yeah, that's the research on this, right? Right, and so, you know, that they, they can say they love God, but they can't really explain what that right, means right. And, and, and how they how they would talk about that. And, and actually, the things we talk about are the things that become real and important to us, right, right. you know, in a lot of ways. And so if that's not being talked about, and all parents do is talk about, you know, other things, but only these kinds of things maybe right. on Sunday or something like that. Children pretty quickly, I think can pick up on the idea that um, it doesn't have that same level of importance as their academic subjects or as, you know, other things that they're doing. Yeah, sure. You can, a lot of parents, if you look at the amount of what they press into their children, it's get good grades, not walk well with Christ. Right. Um, and I think that's important too. Let me remind you, we're taking your calls. Um, our number is 877 Five four eight three six seven five. Again, that's eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. I think that you know I was a youth pastor for two years, long, painful years, a long time ago. Uh, youth pastoring was not for me. Um, one of the things that I learned, I read in a book, and I you know I was I was like nineteen or twenty years old. It was when I was in college. Is we need a partnership with the parents. You know, and that's a phrase that that's still today. Your church, I preach at your church, at college church, and that's a phrase that you know the leaders there use. Uh, Hayek, I think it's called. They they do those things there. Um, but what I found was that parents didn't feel this. This was you know a few decades ago. But parents then, and I continue to see parents now. They say, "Well, I can't do that." Dads would be intimidated by it. Moms maybe have taken over some of the spiritual nurture. We'll talk some about that just historically. Um, so then the church takes on the responsibility, but that's not how people would have thought historically, correct? That's right. And, you know, it seems, um, 
one of the things that's happened, obviously, is that a lot of this has been professionalized, yeah, right? For sure. You know, it's been taken over by... By priests, real priests. Right? Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean that in a sense <laughs> no, that, that right. people see the church now as... I know not every, not every denomination uses the word priests, um, but that's sort of the role now, where that was a father role, historically. Exactly. So... Especially starting in the 20th century. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people started relying on professionals and experts, you know, people who had degrees, you know, in, in these things and in psychology and other areas. And, and actually some of the experts, you know, even started to argue, yeah, parents actually really don't know enough, you know, to do what, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and a lot of parents, yeah, take that to heart. And, and so they say, well, let's leave this in the hands of others, you know, who are trained, you know, who, who can do these kinds of things. But it, it, it actually seems to me one of the things that happened, um, you know, through this time is that, you know, that the church took on a lot of what the early colonial parents were doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the kind of priestly work of, of worship and prayer and, and teaching and things like that. And, and the parents took on um, what became more common in the 19th century was to say, well, basically, we just want to be good examples, good models, mm -hmm. build strong, tight relationships and a happy home, you know, with children and, and hope that they will just embrace uh, the faith that we have. And it's almost like a division of labor, you know, <laughs> so the, the church does one side, the parents uh, do the other side, and, and there isn't a whole lot of collaboration right. or cooperation taking place. Yeah, I tried. The two. I tried some of those things. I tried singing together at the dinner table, yeah. and they were not persuaded. So, <laughs> <laughs> so again, we're taking your calls. Uh, I want to encourage you to jump in on the question of parenting, historical or otherwise. Eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. Again, that is eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. We're going to continue our conversation with David Cetron about parenting with your calls. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. Thanks for listening. By the way, I serve as a dean and professor at Wheaton College. I'm the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. And I say all that, but I'm on sabbatical from all that. So right now, I'm uh, I'm just I have the privilege and joy of being your Moody Radio Saturday morning or afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in host. So glad to have a conversation with you today. We're talking with David Cetron. His new book is Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. And we're going to Give some wisdom and perspective in general. David's got good advice and insight, and I see several folks have questions, and we're going to go to those in just a moment. Let me invite you, though, to join the conversation at 877-548-3675. Let me say it again, 877-548-3675. Make sure you do that 877, because the people at 800 are probably tired of hearing the Moody Radio phone calls. It's 877-548-3675. Five. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the responsibility that's there. Now, again, it's always stereotypes are are not generally helpful. We could acknowledge that we have seen in our professional judgment. We're both uh, we're both professors. We work with undergraduate students who come in um, that they will often speak of their mother's spiritual influence. In my experience, at least, more than their father's spiritual influence. And that was not historically the pattern, but talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think one of the first things that struck me um, as I started reading uh, sources in both 
time periods, colonial period, and then the more 19th century Victorian era, um, was this pretty amazing shift uh, that took place from, you know, pretty significant emphasis on fathers um, as the primary, you know, spiritual uh, teachers, leaders in their homes um, in the 17th and 18th centuries uh, to, to mothers uh, very much taking over that role in, in the 19th century. And yeah, I think early on uh, in, in the colonial period, so fathers, you know, were, were certainly seen as um, yeah heads of the home. They, they were actually called governors of their homes very often. Um, yeah. And they were seen as a, a little bit more, um, you know, kind of uh, teachers, uh, rational teachers, people capable of discipline, those kinds of things, uh, much more so. Um, in fact, you know, some of some colonial authors were arguing that women um, and mothers were a, a little uh, too indulgent, uh, a little too uh, loving and kind, as it were. Wouldn't want and, that. <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that, um, yeah, and, and, and maybe a little bit more you know, vulnerable to um, different opinions and, and heresies. I mean, they were seen as you know, maybe more potentially more, more godly in a certain way, but also maybe more vulnerable to temptation and interesting, and interesting. And, and, um, and, you know, historically we'd look back and of course there's a lot to unpack there that we don't have time to right. unpack about, about culture and gender roles and things of that sort. But one of the things that we would say that was positive was the spiritual involvement of fathers. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, and again, they would be the ones leading the family devotions. They were, they were most of the sources sort of written, Two parents about parenting were written to fathers, um, or at least to both fathers and mothers. By the 19th century, uh, mid-19th century especially, um, it's it's almost completely flipped. Uh, it's almost completely given over uh, to mothers. So all the, the books being written, the pamphlets, other things are being written to mothers, um, encouraging them in, in this work. And obviously part of that is because... Um, you know, fathers are now less present in the home. Right, sure. They're so, going off to work rather than working in the shop or something of that sort. Exactly. Right. So they're heading off to other places during the day, and so mothers have all this time with children. Um, you know, mothers and women in colonial times also were, were doing much more in terms of household labor and productivity and, and things like that in terms of, um, you know, being part of the family economy. That's a little less so now, and so they they have a little more time to give, um, you know, to their children. But but actually, part of it was also just this sense that that mothers and and therefore women were better um, nurturers of their children. So um, the, the idea shifted from they were not as good to now they're better. Exactly. Okay. And we would say that mothers and fathers are both great opportunities <laughs> for leadership and discipleship in their. In their children's lives, just so we're clear. Well, let's let's get some calls here because uh, we're going to go to Kayla uh, first. She's in Franklin, Tennessee, and the reason we're going to Kayla first is I'm flying to Tennessee right after the show ah. to preach this uh, weekend. So, Kayla, I'm going to be at Long Hollow Church up in the other side of town from where you are. But, Kayla, you're live on the air from Franklin, Tennessee. Hi, thanks for taking my call, and I so appreciate your conversation. Um, my husband and I we worked with the youth groups for many years, and um, we found in our experience that um, a lot of the parents want their children to be entertained so that they want to come to church. 
And we've seen massive fallout, and we've heard that from other youth leaders as well. In light of that and everything that you guys are discussing here today, I'm just curious as to what you would say about why we don't hear from the pulpits regularly about the mandate that God has given to the parents to disciple their children. I mean, I just, I rarely hear that. Kayla, I love your question. I love your question. I love your question so much. I'm going to need you to hold on for just a second. And our producer is going to come on and give you a copy of Christian Parenting Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. Well, if they read American History, they'd certainly be doing that. But now I need you to move into the present. Now, again, just so you, those of you know, this is what this is the world that David lives in every day. So these are he's written a book on history, but he's a Christian formation professor working with recent high school grads who are going to college. So why don't we hear more of that? And and if I could add to Kayla's question, what do we need to do about it? Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, some of the Again, the more recent books being written on, you know, when they do surveys and interviews and things like that um, of Christian parents about their parenting. Um, it's interesting because I think we have this kind of common notion, probably, that parents are giving everything over to the church, you know, that they're not taking responsibility. Um, you know, Christian Smith actually says that parents kind of think that they are determinative. Yeah, I want to interrupt you because you keep quoting Christian Smith and yeah. most people don't know who he is. Tell, tell us who he yeah, is. Yeah, he's a sociologist. He's just done a lot of great work in, again, these large scale yeah. surveys. Notre, you know, Dame, Notre Dame. Asking people. Yeah. 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 And, and it's interesting because it seems as if, um, yeah, like you said in your question, like they, they don't think the church really can do very much. Um, you know, they, they take a lot of that to themselves, but they don't take um, the more teaching, you know, education, um, worship, prayer, you know, kind of responsibility. Uh, you know, they, they, again, they take more of the just let's live life together and model it and, and those kinds of things. And and I think, yeah, I don't know um, if, if, if pastors maybe are a little, yeah, more skittish about um, actually, you know, calling on parents to do that. And, and actually, again, this professionalization, right? I mean, this sense that, um, let's, let's leave this to the people who've studied these things and are, and are experts. Um, parents are busy. You know, I, one of the things that struck me, I think in, in writing this book too, is realizing, you know, how in, in historical times more in the 19th than in earlier times, they would talk a lot about teachable moments. You know, they would talk a lot about how, yeah, when you're working together, when you're, you know, kind of living in these settings, you'd be able to kind of teach the faith kind of as you go. And those kind of settings are a lot less common. It seems like now, you know, we have less common time that families are all together to be able to do things like this, less, you know, meal times together. Um, people are involved in lots of activities and sports and music and other things. Um, but also, yeah, just this sense that, um, a lot of those things that would have been, you know, teachable moments are now hidden from view. I mean, you know, death was fairly common and people could talk about that and it would happen in the home and they could do that. And, you know, the, the giving would happen very much in the view of children. Um, you know, and, and now it seems as if a lot of these things again happen, you know, 
sickness happens in hospitals and death mm-hmm. happens in hospitals and you know giving happens online and and children aren't exposed as much even right to to parents being able to teach these things to their children informally in these kinds of within the home kind of settings and so i think yeah i think pastors need to kind of call parents to to be aware of of how they can increase these opportunities right for teachable moments for them super question kayla and thanks for your work among students when encouraged to Keep that up and exhort parents and pastors to speak into, uh, the parents to take on, the pastors to speak into, and in their own homes take on, the uh, the role of parents in the disciple-making process. Again, our, we're taking your calls, 877-548-3675. We're talking about Christian parenting. Again, 877-548-3675. We're going to hit your calls right when we return. Hey, we're back having what I think is a fascinating conversation with David Cetron. He's a professor at Wheaton College. His new book is Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. Again, it's uh, Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. Uh, and that's what we've been talking about, pressing in on some of those questions. Also, kind of letting folks are calling in with questions about uh, parenting in general, and I think that's an important and good conversation. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about the, well, let, actually, let's go to a caller. I think, I think we've got a couple of good calls here. Let's go to uh, Charles in Palm Beach County, Florida. I'm listening down there on WRMB. Charles, you're live on the air. Go ahead. Hey, thank you. Thank you for allowing my call. Uh, I'm not going to keep it short because I talked to your producer, but she, she told me. My question is this. What has been the impact of parents not, uh, and I'm talking about Christian parents, now sometimes we will say, a person may say, well, I'm a Christian, but they don't have a biblical worldview or they don't abide by biblical principles. So I'm talking about parents that say, well, I'm a Christian. If I'm a Christian, we know that the Lord requires that we not only study the Word, but also to raise our kids, to teach the Word, to pray for them, and that God will give us wisdom. And he said, if you want wisdom, then he would give it to you. All you got to do is ask for it in raising one's children. So what has been the impact with parents or Christian parents don't follow God, don't trust God, and don't do those things that God has said on the journey of their children throughout their smaller, middle age, I mean, middle school and high school life. What is the impact of that when they don't do those things? That's that's just a tremendous question. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I think in, in many ways, uh, you know, we see some of the, the fruit of that, right, coming in, you know, what people are saying about um, American teenagers and young adults, um, you know, who have grown up in Christian homes, but maybe not in settings where, you know, faith is is actually taught and lived out and, you know, worship and prayer and the things that you just mentioned. And, you know, one of the, uh, you know, studies that kind of looks at what's happened, you know, points to this big term that they use, uh, they say it's it's creating a culture of moralistic therapeutic deism. Which I will tell um, you, if you're, if you're around the academy, this is what uh, this is exactly what we talk about at Wheaton College, and with the, I mean, this is a real issue. So you got to go through moralistic therapeutic deism. Explain the three yeah, ways. Yeah, so you know that that children growing up in very explicitly Christian homes um, in this way, but are coming out with a, a belief that um, that this is what the Christian faith is about. It's about moralism, which is being nice and good and kind, um, and and therapeutic in the sense of believing that 
really God, God wants us to be happy. Uh, he wants us to be fulfilled. Um, and, you know, that's what he's there. He's a divine butler and a cosmic therapist is, is the way that it, it says it, you know, trying to just help us feel better about ourselves. And then the deism part is just that God is distant, that he is, um, you know, not involved in our everyday lives, but ju- we can just call on him when, when we're in trouble or, you know, when we need him um, in a certain kind of way. And um, I think some of that is actually the the product, as it were, of of, of a lack of actual teaching, right? Um, a lack of actual understanding of who God is and who we are and, and these kinds of things. And actually even a, a lack of, um, a, I call it like a dialogical relationship with God. Um, it's, it's more of this sense that, you know, he's out there, he'll respond if I need him, but but he's not close. And, and so if we're not yeah, making our houses places of prayer as well and, and of, of worship, that can easily uh, happen too. And so I think, yeah, in some ways I would just say, um, you know, we sometimes uh, think that just kind of socializing kids into the faith by just living in the home, you know, can do this. But I think, again, we, we lack maybe the, the articulation, the actual understanding of, of what the faith is and what it means. And then, and then when you get exposed to other things, it's pretty qu- easy to, to just drop that or lose that uh, kind of in the process because it, it's not deeply ingrained, right? You know, right. kind of within the soul. Right. So good. Charles, what a great question, too. Charles, if you hold on the line, uh, our producer is going to come on. We want to give you a copy of Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History by uh, David Setron. Let's get in a, another call. Michelle in Cleveland, Ohio, listening on WCRF. You're live on the air. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I had a question I've been wanting to know for many years. Uh, goes on Kayla's question. I've attended church my whole life. Where can parents today get biblical, wise, applicable, and legal parent parental training? Yeah, I mean that's a, it's a great question, uh, Michelle. If you'll hold on the line, we're going to give you uh, a copy of David's book, which which I guess is not that. It's it's going to look historically, and you have some practical application. But you know, here she's asking. Um, you know, remember she said she's been in church in her whole life, so. Asking, where can I find better resources uh, on parenting? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously there are lots of books out there, obviously written right. on Christian parenting. I mean, I think that's um, that's certainly true. Um, you know, I know for, you know, my wife and I, we, we read uh, quite a few of Paul Tripp's books that, that were very helpful uh, for us as we were. Uh, going through especially those those earliest years and and then the teen years um, in certain kinds of ways. I mean, I think I think the church um, has not been doing as much of this probably as it as it should be doing. You know, we talked earlier about the you know, collaboration right going on between youth groups and and parents or children's ministries and and, and parents and and things like that. And you know, that's something I think. Um, you know, churches can, can just improve on is, is just offering, you know, parenting seminars, other kinds of things that would, uh, would just not only, you know, teach parents of basic biblical principles of parenting and things like that, but would actually form some of that partnership, right. That we've been talking about, uh, that would be, would be ideal. The only other thing I would say is, you know, I think we also, um, 
need to realize that um, probably as Ed and I both said, like nobody is an expert. <laughs> it appears that to be an in, important truth in parenting, and and not to you know shy away from doing certain things, um, you know, practices in the home because you th- you know feel like well I'm I'm just not trained enough or I'm not equipped, you know, because this is I think something that's a collaborative work of the home, right? You know, in which we can be reading the word together and we can be praying together and it's, it's not needing to be a kind of expertise as much as it is an intentionality, right. In, in doing this in a regular way, you know, kind of on an ongoing basis. Um, and just realizing, yeah, that in doing that, then you, you cultivate a common language within the family mm-hmm. um, of faith that can then be talked about and can come up in the more teachable moments, like we said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle, good question. And I would also encourage you to, uh, approach your pastor and say, you know, to the pastor, is there, is there some resource that you suggest? Sometimes there's, uh, if you're in a smaller church, they might have uh, kind of a, other churches in the area they're doing, they do some things together on. And don't be afraid to say, you know, I really need more. And, uh, and I'm willing to help, you know, bring some of those resources together. And I, I would say uh, Paul Tripp is a great resource, and there'd be lots of others that we could uh, recommend as well. All right, so you wrote an historical book, which is fascinating to me. Again, it's Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. What are some lessons today for parents that you drew from the research, from the analysis that you would say would be helpful for parents to consider? We got a little over a minute. Yeah, boy. Uh, I mean, I think um, in some ways, one of the things I was trying to do in the book was to show that the lessons learned in both of these big historical time periods were both pretty important and they're both needed. So, you know, in the colonial period, this this more formal practices in the home, um, prayer, discipleship, uh, devotions, these kinds of things. In the 19th century, much more about uh, the cultivation of relationships between parents and children, this kind of development of, you know, a, a happy home in which in which children are kind of, you know, picking up on the faith through the impressions made, you know, within the home and the environment of the home. Um, and, and I think both end up being really important. Um, you know, we need the formal practices because we need that kind of ongoing regular discipleship. But we also need that informal, relational um, connectedness. A lot of the current research would say when families love together, play together, these kinds of things, it's also much more likely that their faith is going to be transferred from from one generation uh, to the next. And that, that ends up being a pretty important factor. Good deal. Fascinating conversation today with David Setra in the book's Christian Parenting, Wisdom and Perspectives from American History. So thanks to David. Let me thank my behind-the-scenes team here at Moody Radio, Amy Rios, Ryan Hansen, Karen Hendren, all making the magic happen there in downtown Chicago. Tune in next week. I'm going to talk to John Dixon about how to talk to non-believers about your faith, particularly when maybe they have negative ideas about church. To hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com. Remember, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, and Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. Moody Radio, partners, affiliates, and more. We'll talk to you next Saturday.